Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSE podcast, we'll explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, business, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation. Welcome to this episode of Talk Justice. I'm your host, Ron Flagg, president of the Legal Services Corporation. My guests today are John Levy, chairman of the board of directors of LSC, and University of Michigan head football coach, Jim Harbaugh, who is a member of LSC's Leaders Council. We are recording this podcast literally minutes after both John and Jim delivered remarks at an event in Washington, releasing LSC's new report, The Justice Gap, The Unmet Civil Legal Needs of Low-Income Americans. The report examines the nation's justice gap, the difference between the civil legal needs of low-income Americans and the resources available to meet those needs. It's a long report, but let me just give you two of the major findings of the report. 74% of low-income households experienced at least one civil legal problem in the last year. And by civil legal problem, I'm talking about fundamental issues such as eviction, domestic violence, or access to healthcare, sustenance, shelter, safety. The justice gap for these legal problems, these fundamental legal needs is vast. Low-income Americans did not get any or enough legal help for a staggering 92%. That number is 92% of all civil legal problems that negatively impacted low-income people substantially. So Jim and John, we're hot off of this uh, release event, a block or two away from the Capitol. Jim, what, what's your biggest takeaway uh, from the report? Well, Ron, the, my biggest takeaway from the day was, uh, I mean, the report was is sobering. It's an ever-widening gap that low-income people in America face. The other takeaway is that whether it was senators Congressmen, congresswomen, judges, everybody agrees that this is this is a sobering issue. It's a widening gap. And low-income families who have the have the the right to legal counsel in civil cases should be able to have that. Yeah, that's not a bi- it's not a bipartisan thing. Uh, that was my my impression, you know, talking to you know, our lawmakers. And congressmen and women, that this this is something that that is universally supported. It's a matter of resources, and there's a lot of worthy causes. But I think everybody realizes that this is one. When it comes to our legal system, there needs to be access. There needs to be fairness, and it can be done. And we just have to uh, we just have to do the work. Work together as a team. Figure out solutions and uh, problem solve this issue that that Americans have, that people have in gaining access to our justice system. Thanks, Jim. And, and you're right. Uh, we, we had Republicans, we had Democrats speak mm-hmm. today, and they all said this is not a partisan issue. This is a bipartisan issue. And they really underscored that point. John, you've been board chair at LSC. This isn't your first uh, justice gap report, but what was the biggest takeaway for you from this 2022 report? You know, it's, it's hard to... Uh sit and listen to these statistics, but one of the, because of their, of the story that they tell of those that are being left out, 
But I think of our grantees all across the country, 132 of them in the territories as well, and how hard it is for them, how hard they're working every day. And geez, in the last two couple of years with COVID, how many people they're having to turn away, even who come with qualified, who are qualified, come with matters that are, that, that need attention, but they can't help them because of a lack of resources. Not only that, and that, that, our statistic in this report is basically that's 50%, roughly. The turnaway rate. Yes, but the turnaway rate isn't the whole story because actually even those matters that they take in, they're only able to fully address half of those. So really what we're talking about is, you know, even the matters that they can take, they don't have the full, the resources to fully address. And I think of the faces of, I've seen so many of our, our directors over the last few years, you know, on Zooms and what have you, and to turn away people and know that you're sending them to an eviction or you're sending them back to a house that has domestic issues that are serious and there's nothing you can do, how, how that must feel. And we've heard how it feels for our grantees. And this report just makes plain the numbers. And the numbers are not lying here. And uh, unfortunately, they are persistent. And we have got to do better. We have just got to step up our game here, folks. This is, this is what the report is telling us and um, what our grantees are reporting from the field. John, the justice gap study is, is chock full of disturbing statistics. And, and we, we've been talking about the statistics of people who are turned away. And we're talking about the statistics of the problems confronting low-income Americans that are met with uh, inadequate or no assistance whatsoever, the 92% number. But there's some other statistics in the report that are in some ways even more troubling for their long-term consequences. Uh, do you want to talk about the those further reaching consequences of the justice gap as, as it's depicted in our report. And I suppose in some respects, it's, it's not surprising that if you have this continuing turnaway rate and people don't feel that they can get the help they need, maybe it's not surprising that, but it's alarming that only 28% of low-income Americans feel that if they had to utilize the justice system, they could get a fair shake. What that means is that three of three out of four don't think that they could get a fair shake in the justice system. That means they don't have confidence in its fairness. And folks, in my view, that's as alarming as any statistic that we've discovered here. But I guess in some ways we shouldn't find it surprising. After years of leaving this many people out, now sort of probably the word around in in their circles is, you know, we went down there, but we got turned away. We can't get any help. We don't know what to do. One thing that was striking was, because we asked this question, we asked uh, Ken Frazier, the uh, executive chairman of Merck, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. We asked uh, the chief justices of uh, two uh, uh, state Supreme Courts. So what's it to the rest of us? What's it to the people who are not living uh, 125% uh, 
of the poverty limit. And they were emphatic about, you know, companies are made up of employees and of consumers. And if customers and employees are being denied justice, those companies are not going to thrive. If our society is not thriving, companies can't grow and thrive. And the justices and the uh, who spoke the same thing, it infects the entire system. It's not just, well, a few people are, are disadvantaged. It really infects the whole system. Jim Harbaugh, speaking at today's event is, is nothing new for you. In fact, you've delivered remarks at the release of our 2017 Justice Gap Report, and you've appeared frequently at LSC and other legal aid events on the challenges that low-income Americans face in seeking the legal help they need. You've been a member of LSC's Leaders Council for years and have served on LSC's Opioid Task Force. And I'm going to ask you the same question that we ask business leaders, that we ask judges. Mm-hmm. You know, why why is it important to you? You're a football coach. I mean, you know, what's it your business? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I come from humble beginnings, and I, I coach a lot of players that uh, you know have families that get evicted, that you know lose their jobs, that need health benefits, and they don't know how to access them. They have nobody representing them. It's a legal system that we're and it's created by people of legal minds. Most of us don't know how to navigate that, but yet we're all going to have some kind of some kind of legal civic uh, civil legal issue come up. You know, sometimes once, twice a year. So that uh, to to not be represented by an attorney, and for those who qualify, and I think that's the the thing. So everybody can really understand what we're talking. Low income. Uh, you're talking about a household of four. That has a has an earnings of thirty three thousand dollars, or a single person who's making sixteen thousand dollars or less, they qualify for free legal aid in civil cases, evictions, domestic violence, and when you say you know John talks about being turned away, you know half of the people that know about these these services that show up in need of them and they qualify. They're turned away because the resources aren't there to help them. And I think, Rod, I mean, you, you told me the story today. Maybe the most graphic one I heard all day was that in, in one county in our country, that people that showed up with domestic violence issues, only the ones that had children, you know, could be represented. They had to make a choice. We don't have enough, don't have enough resources to represent a woman who's had domestic violence who doesn't have children. I mean, I think if anybody anybody hears that story, story that that's got it. Why is that? The biggest reason I can I can tell is that nearly fifty years ago in nineteen seventy four, you know, our government decided that there needed to be access to justice, no matter what your income status was, and it was funded at a level of around four hundred million dollars. Some 30, uh, almost, well, almost 50 years later, we're, we're at the same number. So we, we, it was a, it was a, it's a good idea. It's a fair idea to represent those that can't afford a lawyer. If you're making $33,000 and you have a, a household of four people, you can't afford a lawyer. There's no possible way. And then you go to, you can, and representing yourself really isn't an option because you don't know how to navigate the system. What hasn't kept up is the funding has not kept up 
from the original idea. And so that's it's it's story after story like that. Right, John? I mean, it's story after story all over all over the country. And uh, we need to act. Our lawmakers need to act. Our leaders need to come together as a team. There's no finger pointing. It's not whose idea it is. It's this is a bipartisan pillar of our country, fairness and access to equal justice. That's what we're talking about here. And when you think of what Jim is just talking about here, the the turn away of that woman because she didn't have kids. Now, she goes home to an unsafe environment and she tells her family and friends that this is what happened to her. Well, what do they think of the justice system? And then if something does happen to her, what do they think of the justice system? And what are the societal costs, the increased societal costs? Because we didn't take care of the problem at the first instance. That's the other piece of this. Actually, when there have been economic studies about investments of legal aid, it's shown that it actually saves money in the long run. But the fact of the matter is that what, what we have right now is a situation where our grantees are being forced to terrible to have to make choices they don't want to have to make, but they have limited resources, and so they can only do so much. But just think about the very people that when those people are not being helped, they have a circle. That's what the business people are talking about. They tell their friends, This is what happened to me. That erodes confidence generally beyond just the person who showed up at the door. This is something we have to get hold of here. And what the unfortunate story here also is, we did this study five years ago, and I know it was a little bit different in in how the data was measured, but there's no question we've gone from 86 to 92%. 92% 92% is a huge number. John, there, there's, wouldn't you agree? I mean, there's no guesswork. I mean, the, the studies have, have all been made, whether it's economic impact, social justice impact, there's no question. And when it comes to whether it's business or the environment or what we're talking about here, access to justice, there, there needs to be a big investment made. You have to make a big investment. It, and it costs a lot. It does. But if you wait and avoid the problem, stick your head in the sand and say, oh, maybe it'll go away, it doesn't. And then the, the, the financial ramifications and, and the human cost eventually is, is catastrophic. You know, um, I make the, the environmental analogy the same way. I mean, yeah, we can get, keep saying the, the facts are are, are clear. There's no guesswork here. I mean, we got you got to have sustainable energy. You can't keep using fossil fuels, and you got to make investment. And if you don't, then it's going to be too late or disastrous. And that's the same thing we're talking about. Wouldn't you agree? When it comes to fairness and access to justice, you could make a sizable investment now while you still have a chance to solve the problem. Soon, you may not be able to, and the and the cost could be. Is astronomical. The, the fact is that uh, we're it, we're playing with the future of our democracy here, and why why do we want to do that? 
I think we know that this is a fundamental of our what our people believe, equal justice, equal justice under law. But if it's only for some and not for many others, that's not a system that we think we believe in as a people, and we shouldn't want to. And so this this report, unfortunately, shows a gathering, unfortunately, from five years ago, that a worsening, I should say, of the circumstance for low-income folks and our ability to handle their civil legal needs, and then their attendant belief in the fairness of the system. And you know what? If people start to feel like, ah, the system doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for us. Well, what does that mean for our future? And I think about here, we are a board in, in office at a time that we're approaching OSC's 50th anniversary. And we're not too far from the country's 250th. We need to, with the report like this, we need to raise our voices and ring the bell loudly to call attention to what's happening here. I don't want people later on to say, well, what were those folks doing? Why didn't they tell us? Well, we've got to, we've got to raise our voices. And that's what today was about. And what, what's the fix from your perspective? Well, I think there's a couple of fixes. It's not just money, but money is, let's, let's not kid ourselves. As Jim said, we're basically, if you inf- adjusted for inflation, the number we would be receiving would be e- easily double the number we're getting right now. And even then, we wouldn't fully take care of all of the needs, but it sure would be a big step. Investment in technology, so people can know what forms to fill out and know what their, what their rights are. That's Simplification. Simplifying it so people can do it themselves. Right. Some things. And, and, and making the system. Jim went to family uh, court in, in Flint. I remember you're calling me and saying, you know, not every one of these people needs a lawyer, but they need somebody who's trained that can tell them what to do. That, and, and when you, you had that experience, Jim, we don't need all having lawyers. We could have paraprofessionals. We need to also consider the regulations and, Loosen that up, too. But uh, isn't, isn't that your experience when you were in, in, in family court? It sure was. Yeah, just in, in addition to uh, giving hands-on uh, help to uh, LSC, Jim, a, f- a couple years back, you went to uh, family court in Flint, Michigan, or a housing court, rather, in Flint, Michigan. You know, why did you do that, and what did you learn? I, I really wanted to see what it was, what it was like. What were, what, were the, what were these cases? It's not... It wasn't cases where people are trying to sue people, trying to line their pockets through the civil court proceedings. It was people that were being evicted. People, there was a woman who was a survivor of domestic violence who was just trying to get a, a restraining order and had gone through multiple times where she didn't have the paperwork. And K. Beam, the judge, I mean, could not have been more helpful, but. She still wasn't represented by an attorney and she, she prevailed, but it was, there was months, even years where she was, she was left unprotected. The heartbreaking story of somebody evicted, having all their things taken out of their home and on the, the uh, sidewalk and kids and family. I mean, that, the scarring of that is, I mean, that's, that would be a, 
that would be a lifetime. I mean, we talk about, I mean, what could be, what could be worse? And now a family left unprotected, no house, living on the, living on the streets. And, and they shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been. They were being evicted unduly. That, 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 that kind of thing is, is taking place. I mean, and to see it up close, you know, that's why I want, that's why I went and that's, that's what I learned. And that's, uh, and I see it many times and I saw some of that growing up. I see, I see some of that in, in the, in the families of, of the youngsters that I coach. So, um, that's been the experience. I think that those are the real life cases that, that we're talking about. And, and, and I guess people would say, well, 400, around $400 million is what, what the uh, government spends right now for legal services, for access to justice for those who can't afford it. Okay, free legal service for those that can't afford it. And you say, maybe that's a lot. And as Jim Sandman said today, I thought it was, I mean, I mean, striking comment that if you think that's a lot, that is people in America spend more on Halloween costumes for their pets than we do as a society to uh, give legal aid to those that can't afford it. That was Congresswoman uh, Scanlon was quoting Jim. And quoting Jim yes, Sandman. A- absolutely. And the fact is that uh, what you're talking about, the societal cost of putting a family out on the street is a lot greater than having invested in the legal, in, in providing somebody with a representative to help them understand what services might be available in the community. There are widespread services, but you don't, if you're, you know, if you, this is your time in eviction court, you don't know about them. And the other is their defenses. They, we know at legal services what happens when you have a representative and when you don't. Eviction is one of those areas where if you have a representative, the numbers almost flip from if you don't. And yeah. if you don't, you yeah, 90% lose. Without a lawyer, you lose anywhere from 60% of the time to 95% of the time. With a lawyer, we've had, there was a, a right to lawyer program in Cleveland uh, in the last couple of years. And the success rate keeping people in their homes was 93% where they had a lawyer. So it's, it's dispositive. It's, uh, you know, the difference between you know, uh, staying in your home and not, and that difference turns on whether or not you have a lawyer. Somebody takes away your job. You know, somebody who served in our military who needs health benefits from their, their VA, they're not getting it. There's a, there's, a, there's a disconnect and you need, they need lawyers. They need somebody to, to navigate that system for them. And then there, there's a mental health component that is, that is out there in our country you know, we, we really need to reach out to those uh, those people that are low income. And we really need to ask them and make them aware, connect with them and make them aware of of rights and services that they have. And really, if you're below the, the poverty line in this country, you should have the same right to have representation in a civil case, the same as you have in a criminal case, in my opinion. That's not the case. Uh, is it, Ron? That's not the case these days. I don't know if everybody's aware of that. Are people aware of that? No, I think uh, too often when we talk to people, and we're talking about talking to well-educated people, they say, 
Oh, no. If you tell them uh, you're not entitled to a lawyer, if you lose uh, your custody of your child or you lose your home, they say, oh, no, I, that's not the case. I watch uh, Law and Order every uh, week, and they always say you have a right to a lawyer. So you're right, Jim. People do not understand the fundamental distinction between criminal law, where you generally are entitled to a lawyer, and civil cases, which can be equally devastating, but you have no right to representation. Yeah. You don't get a public defender to, and, that's, and they should, really, they should have that. Well, that's, you see, at $489 million, that's our current number. Well, that number basically is, you know, we were actually $400 million in the 90s. And we basically not kept up with anything, inflation, population growth, you name it. And here we are. How could we afford not to make the investment? I know it's a lot of money, but in the in the overall federal budget, it's not a lot of money. In fact, it's a very small amount of money. And that's a concern to me. I sometimes wonder, do we get lost in the shuffle of the big, big numbers that are out there that people aren't paying attention to this? We aren't actually in the overall federal budget that big a number, but we are a huge idea. And we're a huge idea that goes to who we are fundamentally as a people. And we shouldn't be playing with that. That's my view. As we approach the country's 250th, let's take care of this. Jim Harbaugh, John Levy, thank you. Uh, what it's going to take to fix the justice gap is at least two things. One, public education about the justice gap and your work today in the Justice Gap release and in walking the halls of Congress earlier today is invaluable in getting the word out about the Justice Gap and the crisis in our justice system. And two, it's going to take leadership. It's going to take leadership not only from LSC and uh, legal aid attorneys, but more importantly, from people across America from different walks of life, uh, whether it's a football coach, an author, business leaders, you name it. We need a common understanding that many of the laws and legal rights created by Congress and state and local legislators are really illusory. They're, they're, they're dreams and, and, and unkept dreams for the lack of legal assistance to enforce those rights and those laws. But with your leadership and uh, those of others, this is a problem that we will address and we can fix. And again, thank you for being with us today. Stay well. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed on this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on this podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.